Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dharma Toolkit podcast with me, Chandradasa. And this week, we're coming into Buddhist Action Month, sort of unofficially or officially, I'm not quite sure, known as BAM. BAM in Scotland means something entirely different, but in this context, it means Buddhist Action Month. And we thought it would be great to do a conversation setting up what's going to be happening on the Buddhist Central Online for Buddhist Action Month. I'm joined in the team today with my friend and colleague Sadai Sihi from Dublin, who's going to be helping steer the conversation. And a couple of guests we'll introduce you to in a minute. First of all, as usual, we hope you're well. We hope whatever is going on in the lockdown for you, wherever you are, whether the lockdown is easing or whether it's not easing, whether it should be easing, whether it shouldn't be easing, that's another question these days. We hope you're doing okay and that you've got the support you need and the friends around you and the love around you to make it through. We're delighted to be back bringing you some more stories and voices this week. And yeah, it's exciting to have a month ahead of Buddhist Action Month, which is on the theme of For the Earth. So from my bit of the earth in New Hampshire on the east coast of the USA over to Sadaisihi's bit of the earth in Dublin, Ireland. How are you doing, Sadaisihi? Hi, Chandradasa. Firstly, I'm very curious to know what BAM means in Scotland. I don't know if you can say that online. <laughs> I probably can, yeah. BAM is often used in context, they call people a BAM pot. And a BAM pot is somebody who's a bit mad and usually is to be found being a bit daft in public and doing crazy things. So you're a bit of a BAM pot. Good, good to know. I like so, to expand my vocabulary. Yeah, so everyone <laughs> taking part in BAM is not a BAM pot. Well, that's to be decided, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm well. Today is lovely, sunny day. It's actually starting to feel like summer, so much so that I was lying out in the grass earlier. I was listening to some talks for our next home retreat, kind of getting my head in the zone. And it was just really lovely to be able to do that outdoors because I can. It's warm enough now to feel comfortably sitting out in the sunshine. And yeah, and I guess just in terms of how things are in Dublin and Ireland more generally, I think I suppose our lockdown is starting to ease a little bit. We're now at a stage where we can meet people outdoors in small groups. So that's been exciting. And I actually took the opportunity this weekend to meet some friends in person. So I haven't really been seeing very many people in, in the last however long. And that was just lovely. So I'm doing well, hoping things continue to go in the way they're going. Yeah, we've just finished two poetry podcast episodes. There's another two to come. And both of the episodes have had the poet William Stafford in it one of whose books is called Holding Onto the Grass. And like you, I, I managed to get outdoors yesterday for the first time in ages and just down by the Piscataqua River and lying on the grass and holding onto the grass, like quite literally. And it did feel like somehow an amazing, well, it felt like the right kind of response to what's been going on, <laughs> just being on the earth, but also just your fingers around some grass like that. It was a very beautiful experience. I was very happy there. So we have two great guests today who are going to be helping us pilot our way through the whole of Buddhist Action Month from their respective organisations, perspectives. The first guest is our friend Christine Turing from the Vancouver Sangha on the west coast of Canada, quite far away from where I am, really far away from where the others in this conversation are. And she's a total star because it's half past eight in the morning and she's up <laughs> doing a podcast. I have to tip my hat to. So welcome to you, Christine. How are you doing over in Vancouver? Hey, Chandradasa. Hey, everyone. Yeah, I'm really good. It is 8.30 in the morning, but, you know, I just finished my meditation, so where else would I be at this time? 
That's a good question. Where else could you be? Does that mean we can book you in every morning at 8.30 for podcast duty? Like, is that a promise? Yeah, maybe that is asking a bit much. (laughs) You were an absolute treasure and got in touch with us and said, hey, BAM is coming up. And in the midst of all the stuff with coronavirus and us trying to respond online with the Dharma Toolkit, we were aware of BAM and usually we do quite a lot online for BAM, but it was really helpful to have somebody just come in and help us focus our minds on what we could do. And you were particularly helpful because you had a whole bunch of really great ideas, which indeed is going to form the basis of what we're up to. Yeah, I guess with the COVID-19 crisis, this pandemic, one thing that really came alive for me was being out here on the West Coast in quite a small, lovely sangha with a regional sangha, but we've been using Zoom for many years out here. And it's quite new to me. You know, I was in Sheffield before, which is a very big, thriving sangha in the UK, which, you know, you turn left, right and centre and there's a Buddhist in front of you. So I was really enjoying the contact I was now having to the Sangha, to the greater Sangha. And I'd done some of the home retreats on the Buddhist Centre Online, which were just fantastic. And I guess when I became aware that BAM was coming up and at the best of times, being part of quite a small Sangha would be a bit limiting in terms of, you know, getting big participation or or getting that message out very far. So I just thought it would be really neat to see if we could do something for the greater Sangha using this wonderful platform that you've built up and which is just serving such a huge benefit right now. So I've always been a big fan of Buddhist Action Month. Anything that's putting our practice to the test, really testing things out, experimenting with karma. What happens if I really put my intention onto just becoming more aware of my use of plastic, my dependence on plastic, for example. It can be quite overwhelming to do it for a long period of time, but for the period of a month, or a week for that matter, can be really transformative. So I've always loved BAM. June is just such an amazing time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. And I was really pleased by your positive response from the idea that we could do something on the Buddhist Centre online. Our other guest, in a way, represents a whole different angle on Buddhist Action Month, which we're really pleased to have as a theme for the month. Amy Edwards works at the Karna Trust from London in the UK. And Karna and I got in touch with us and we were having conversations about what it meant to be an engaged Buddhist. And it seemed such a great fit to have Karna in the conversation about, well, for human beings on the earth, how can we make everything more sustainable, including economics, environment, and particularly during a crisis like this, There's clear overlap in all these conversations. So welcome, Amy. Thanks for coming in and taking part in BAM with us. Thanks, Chandadasa. Yeah, it's great to be here. Nice to see you all. How's your lockdown going? How's it been for you in London? Yeah, I mean, it's been busy. I think everyone working at Karina has felt very busy at the moment throughout the whole lockdown. You know, as a massive introvert, I quite enjoy (laughs) being in my own space and in my home. But I'm living in Tottenham in a flat, but I'm lucky enough to be next to a, a park I guess nature is really important to me and I get to go out there, but uh, it is different. I'm missing the ability to roam, I think. (laughs) And I get a bit envious of when I see friends who live in the countryside and, you know, sharing pictures of like the bluebells and those kind of things that I love and really important to me. But I'm kind of conscious of two lockdowns, the lockdown that's here and the lockdown that's in India and Nepal. So it kind of throws things into perspective. Any sort of stresses or challenges here are really you know, quite insignificant from what my experience is to what people living in slums in India are like. And that's your work, isn't it? For people who don't know the Karna Trust, you're mainly focused as a charity on supporting some of the least advantaged people in India and Nepal, not just navigate things like the coronavirus, but navigate the world generally, working with caste prejudice, the, the idea that they're actually untouchable, etc. 
That's right. So yeah, we work in caste-based discrimination and poverty and inequality in India and Nepal. So I mean, normally our work is sort of based around gender equality, livelihoods and education. It's not really so much about delivering food parcels and health kits to people, but obviously the situation demanded that we shifted what we were doing and where we were putting our resources. Yeah, we had an earlier podcast with Padmadaka, who's the director of the Karna Trust at the moment, and he was very eloquent just about the huge needs in India. And that thing you mentioned of perspective has been very important. Just everybody's having a really difficult time. And there's also layers of that and scales with that. Christine, I was just remembering the last time we spoke on video when we were setting up this conversation on some Buddhist Action Month, you weren't actually at home in what looks like your lovely apartment. You were out in nature in a van, which seemed miraculous that you could talk to us from there, from the wilds. Is that been a part of your own experience of the lockdown is just been able to get out and be a botanist as well. Yeah, here in Vancouver specifically, we've been really fortunate. We've got a really great provincial health officer. So our experience of the pandemic has been managed really well. So our curve has been nicely, what's the word, bent? Feels like a long time ago since we were talking about the curve, but it does mean that I've been able to get outdoors. We haven't been forbidden from going into the forest. But yeah, I was out with my partner in the van. We went over to Vancouver Island, which is host to one of my favorite ecosystems. It's a grassland ecosystem, the Gary Oak Meadow, which is just so phenomenal. And it's one of those magic things that happens in the springtime when, you know, if you have any interest in wildflowers or ecology of any sort, it's basically the place to be. So yeah, nature has been a really important part. I mean, it is an important part of my life in general, but during the lockdown, it's definitely been the balm. Having easy access to the natural environment has been really, really important to kind of helping to offset a lot of the anxiety and the hyper irritability that's been a part of my experience. I've got a lot of gratitude for my conditions. I'm actually on the North Shore in North Vancouver, so within a stone's throw from quite a wild river with access to stunning forests that tourists come to visit when it's not closed. My background is environmental science and biology, so I used to get paid to hike in the woods. Now I kind of do it for fun. I am quite active otherwise professionally in ecological green infrastructure, so I kind of shifted my attention to the urban environment probably about 20 years ago, become quite specialized on green roofs, living walls, but also other forms of ecological green infrastructure and really just making a case for the beings without voices, pollinators, our native bees, birds, and the whole food web. It's interesting that a lot of green infrastructure is not actually ecological, it's more technological. So the function is there, but the ecological function is not necessarily included. So that's my little point of expertise that I'm trying to represent. One of the things that's come up talking about Buddhist Action Month, and particularly the theme of For the Earth, is, well, of course, what does that mean? There's some very obvious things, and we're going to have a series of events through June, presentations that will be interactive, some of them online, around climate, environmental change, all of those kind of relatively familiar issues now, and looking at that from the perspective of Buddhist practice, Buddhist experience, with the kind of expertise behind it that Christine embodies so well. But there's this other aspect that Amy's in a way speaking to as a guest today around, well, how do human beings 
occupy the planet? How do we live? How do we treat each other? Where is the injustice that's systemic, that's built into our economic systems, our attitudes to other people, etc.? And we were particularly interested in, I guess these days, what's called the intersectionality. Always makes you sound 10 to 20% smarter than you actually are if you say intersectionality. The intersectionality between those two areas, the environment, the ecosystem, and also the beings who inhabit it, particularly the human beings who inhabit it, because we have such a disproportionate effect on all of the other beings. Intersectionality, right? Yeah, you could keep okay. saying intersectionality if you like. I, I could. Your IQ goes up, I think, five points. That's it. Try it. and say it as many times in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, since we last had a conversation, like this word intersectionality came up it's sort of been on my radar and I was reading the newspaper the other day and I saw someone had written in an article kind of in this very territory about I guess the coronavirus and this crisis and then you know where does that fit with climate change because in some ways it felt like this whole conversation about climate change had been sort of growing in visibility people seem to be much more aware of it and then the coronavirus seemed to happen I mean can you remember back in January, there was a lot of coverage from Australia about the bushfires. There was a lot of conversation about that. And then coronavirus struck and it kind of feels like something stopped being talked about as much or as visibly. But this person was making the point that in terms of the coronavirus, it encapsulates the environmental crisis, but it also encapsulates the social crisis, which is an ongoing thing, you know. And this person was making the case that it covers everything from, well, I suppose, the things that Amy probably could speak to in terms of Karana, the situation of migration, but even in terms of our own countries, homelessness, injustice, all these issues are all kind of aspects of this one crisis. And I suppose in a certain sense, with any of these things, if you pull a thread of any of them, it'll kind of come back to the same underlying issues that all need to be looked at. So in a certain sense, that might sound like, oh my God, it's all getting really, really complicated. But if you see it as an opportunity, if you take anything, if you start approaching any of these issues, you decide, well, actually, my angle is the environment. If you change one thing, it has an effect somewhere else. So I guess in some ways, I like to think of these things. It is complicated, but actually, we're all sort of walking in the same direction, maybe starting at different points. That would be my take on intersectionality, not that you were really asking me for that. <laughs> yeah, I really agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, all the problems that are in the world and the earth, if we felt like we had to fix them all, it's just overwhelming. So it's great that we each take our own angle and we can reach out and respond to what's in front of us and what we're able to respond to. And if we each did that, it would have a really meaningful effect in the world. There's definitely times, particularly with all the disasters that you see and the environmental issues, I think, oh, why am I working in this area? I should be looking at climate change and working there. But it's not separate, I guess, people are of the earth and the earth affects people. And I see that all the time in our projects. Our partners are often the ones that are the most affected by climate change. They're living in vulnerable areas. They're living in very basic housing that's the first to be demolished by, you know, last week there was a cyclone that hit West Bengal, which is one of our partner areas. And those people are already experiencing a great deal of suffering from the lockdown and the virus and the migration there and the tensions that happen when migrants come back to those villages and then they're seen as carrying the virus. And then they're hit again with a cyclone and they have to evacuate and then they can't social distance. We see it a lot how actually what we're doing, you can't sort of, it's not discreet. The social justice isn't discreet from what the earth needs. 
I was just thinking as well about that cyclone and just thinking how those people will be additionally impacted because, of course, if they're living in contaminated soils or contaminated waters, that's basically having a direct impact on health, well-being, with huge knock-on effects, depending on the degrees of toxicity. It is all just one big connected sphere of intersectional influence. Amy, I'm aware that your background is in communications and filmmaking, specifically video making. Is there something for you about the work of communicating this? One of the things that came up in conversations before was the action bit of Buddhist Action Month. In a way, although Buddhism is the context, it's the idea of being able to do something. And Karna, I'm imagining for you that there's something very proactive about being engaged in communicating about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really fortunate to be in an opportunity where I can share information with others that maybe don't get access to it or give people some kind of voice that wouldn't be able to reach different audiences. So I'm always really, really appreciate that position. I'm really interested in storytelling, you know, I feel like a lot of the issues around caste-based discrimination, for example, is like people have been given a story and they're told that's the only story that they can live and that's how others are going to see them and there's a sort of choicelessness about it. I think what a lot of our projects do are able to basically give them a new story and say, you know, you could be, I don't know, give them the skills and the opportunities to do something different. I guess that communications kind of goes through the actual work on the ground, but also my work here in, in London. So yeah, it's something I've always been doing. I think it was the reason I came to Karen, it was to tell better stories before I was working in action vehicles and Ridley Scott films blowing up plumbers and things. So I was looking to do something a bit more meaningful, more in line with my own values. Yeah, stories are important, aren't they? Whether it's narratives that tie big themes together or recognizing the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, I guess the opportunity in the series we're putting together here for Buddhist Action Month is there are lots of different ways that we can approach the suffering that we experience in the world. You know, what does for the earth mean? What does for all beings mean? It could be as vague and abstract as you like, or we can make it real for ourselves by really testing it out. So I'm looking forward to the themes that we've got that will be presented over the course of the month. Everything from the mythical bodhisattva ideal, that Mahayana vision of force for good in the world for the benefit of all beings, something that each of us carries within us taking that mythical story, but right down into felt experience, something that we can each bring alive in ourselves. The other themes relate to what does interconnectivity actually look like? So again, here's a story or an idea concept that everything is connected. It's a story that actually exists within the science of ecology, as well as Buddhism and lots of other traditions. What might it look like in the context of Buddhist Action Month or in the way that we embody it or bring it alive? And there's also this notion of this rising global consciousness, which I think is quite a phenomenon that we as the human race have experienced in the last, probably actually the last year. Just think about how many things, how many movements have become so unignorable, you know, in the way that climate justice, thanks to Greta Thunberg, just what she has done for that movement, suddenly it's something that nobody could ignore. This pandemic 
has really brought forth how connected we all are and the fact that our experiences are completely intertwined with those, whether it's at the top of our awareness or not. Everyone is now aware of, to a certain degree, more or less, what's happening on the other side of the planet, what's happening in Australia, what's happening in Bengal, what's happening in the Amazon. So I'm really looking forward to delving into that a bit more tangibly. And then this possibility of living lightly on the earth, that's another theme that we'll be exploring. What does it look like to live simply in this pretty technological society, certainly here in the North, that we have been living in for many years to the point now that we forget that it's quite novel. So what would it look like to actually scale back and live in more meaningful contact with Mother Earth or with the natural environment of which we are actually, that's our true home. I mean, our breath is our one true home, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, but actually, can we break through this construct that humans are separate from nature? Can we actually move into more meaningful relationship with the natural world in a totally pragmatic way? It's so easy to take that as an abstract notion, you know, peace, love, and Birkenstocks or whatever stereotypes, but actually living more simply with greater intention and more care to the kind of lifestyles that we live. So there's a lot of great stories that we will be exploring, which I'm really looking forward to. And of course, yeah, kind of all brought together by this central story that each of us does carry in our own way, but in a way that is deeply human and also deeply embedded in this biosphere, which is our our only home. Maybe just following on that point about the stories and interconnectivity, Well, I think it's just interesting, isn't it, about stories? There's more or less always going to be a story of some kind. And often it's not a particularly wholesome story that's feeding in our common narrative. And again, I've just been really conscious looking at what's happening in the news and how much there's this conversation about the economy. And particularly in the context of the coronavirus, it's like, it seems like this battle between people's lives versus the economy, as if the economy is this being that needs to be protected in a particular way. But that's the narrative and that's what we have to constantly work with. And sometimes you get these little glimmers of people are beginning to reimagine what the world might look like, probably because we're in such an unusual place at the moment where it's just like no one could possibly have foreseen any of this happening. No one could possibly have foreseen, for example, people who might have been commuting for an hour or two hours and now working from home that would have seemed impossible but now it's possible and now we're beginning to question what else is possible and I think it's quite hopeful isn't it I guess as a Buddhist it feels like a really exciting time a really great opportunity because some of the things that people are really as you were saying Christine people are really seeing how interconnectivity it's really obvious how we're so affected But that's something that as Buddhists, we will be talking about right from the beginning when you learn anything about Buddhism when you talk about this idea of things arising in dependence on conditions. And that draws out that fact that we're so connected with each other. So it feels like an exciting time, well, it's an exciting time for Buddhist Action Month to draw out some of this and for it to unfold in the context of this global cauldron of things that are beginning to change, it feels like. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic, I don't know. Or at least things feel possible. I think that optimism, though, is so vital. Listening to really devastating stories all day or thinking, oh gosh, well, how can we act here? And I think bearing in mind that possibility and also just noticing that creativity that comes out of very extreme situations feel like yeah it's happening here or maybe I'm feeling in my life like I'm just trying to imagine different ways of being and how can 
those manifest and we're doing it at Karina. We had an excellent three-year strategy all planned out, <laughs> just signed off. And then this happened and it's like, okay, great. Well, back to the drawing board. What do we, <laughs> what can we keep, what needs to come in instead? And remaining flexible and being able to respond. For me, that's what engaged Buddhism looks like, being able to do that dance, what's needed at the time and not sticking to rigid ideas of what should happen. That's for me what I was always excited about with Buddhist ethics. It's more about what can you do that makes your life beautiful or a beautiful life or a meaningful life, not like what's right and wrong. Yeah. I don't like to think of that optimism as kind of being naive. I think it's really important to keep driving change. Viveka, who's been kind of quite active in this area as well, who we'll hear from through June in a series of conversations about sort of reimagining meditation and the kind of soulfulness of that kind of internal space with meditation. She gave a talk for us recently around the theme of the Buddha as a kind of social revolutionary. And she made the point that in her work with social justice contexts on the West Coast, they're really encouraging each other to go for plan A all the time. Don't sell yourself short. Just imagine the world you'd like to imagine and then start doing stuff to make that happen. Like there's no reason to limit yourself based on a sense of pragmatism. And it's that difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is optimistic regardless of the circumstances. Hope takes account of the circumstances and goes for it anyway. I'm just beaming from what everyone's shared. I've kind of been dancing with hope in the last couple of years. I've heard some critiques about hope being a bit weak. More recently, I've been looking a bit more intentionally at Joanna Macy's work, and she talks about active hope as something that is an active force for good in the world, and that there's different degrees of hopefulness, I suppose. And it really takes courage, actually, to choose hope, to choose life, to choose the thing that maybe there's part of us that doesn't really believe in it, doesn't believe that good things are ahead or what have you, or more somberly that things are destined to go a certain way. All the indicators are there, da-da-da. But yeah, I guess the thing that comes up for me, because I do have, you know, I've got my own moments of pessimism or what I might call realism, but I always come up against this fact that, well, I don't know. I'm not enlightened. I don't have my finger on the tab of the full complexity of reality. So at the end of the day, nobody can know how things are going to go. And so if we're going to invest our energy into one thing, we might as well choose the positive outcome. And I think it's really important that we express this. And what an opportunity, right? That all these people around the world who have been in lockdown, and especially those of us in this privileged class, even though, you know, not the hyper elite, but certainly this privileged class of people that have the opportunity to commute for two hours a day and, you know, work high paying jobs and what have you. Suddenly that's all been simplified. It means that we're traveling less. It means that we're spending more time with our children. I'm speaking very generally here, but it's been kind of like a reset button. So engaging with this hope in this moment, I think is probably the most important thing that we can be doing as our contribution to humanity to all the beings that we share this living planet with. Maybe we're just investing in a habit, in a way of being, and that's going to make it a lot more easy to respond when those opportunities arise. Whether it's within our municipalities, putting out surveys about, oh, well, what would you like to see? Oh, well, I know exactly what I want to see because I put a lot of thought into this and here's what we need and that's what else and da da da, da. Looking at the things that have benefited us during this very difficult period, but kind of seeing the benefits, the benefits to reduce travel, 
to greater care for others, to connection with nature, to reduce consumerism. These are things that we can take forward. There is something about the collective nature of all this. We've got a big opportunity ahead of us as a species. We're going to get to tell another set of stories next. It could be the same old stories we've been telling for the last 100, 150 years, or at least some elements of new story. And essentially that's going to come down to people like us, communities like ours, whether that's the team at the Karna Trust and the work they do, or the environmental movement in the broad. I'm very aware that Buddhist Action Month is actually pan-Buddhist. It's organised initially by the network of Buddhist organisations in the UK, and our community, Chiratna, has engaged in it quite strongly over the years. It's lovely to see this year that there's a whole wide diverse set of elements to BAM ongoing through a range of Buddhist communities and that idea that different communities will start telling different kinds of stories seems key to the future. If we don't speak up with our stories, who will? Well, people who believe in late-stage capitalism will. (laughs) That's for sure. People who, as I see he was saying, venerate the economy as the great god who has to be satisfied all the time. They'll speak up So there's something quite urgent and beautifully urgent about this as an opportunity. I think when we think about Karen and why it's not just, you know, another NGO and what makes it a Buddhist engaged organisation, I do think the team element really is key to that. Obviously, the Buddhist values are coming through the organisation, but it's just how we connect together as humans, as well as what we're trying to do in India and how much we're willing to be vulnerable and open with one another. With BAM, that's what excites me about it. It's about bringing people together, sharing ideas and skills or for like a common purpose. So yeah, I can really see how BAM is relevant to Karina and how Karina can support what's going on in BAM as well. Just there's the really common thread of collective action. I think that seems to be really important. I'm so happy that Karina Trust is on board this year. It's such a wonderful coming together of the eco-social, those of us who really see eco-social justice as the great ideal. I guess I would echo that. I encourage everyone that's engaging with this. You know, we're all like little sons in the world. I'm, I'm still impacted by Ratna Vandana's home retreat on the Brahma Viharas, and she described metta as, you know, we're kind of connecting with the sun of universal loving kindness. It's in all of our hearts and we just need to open ourselves to it and allow the clouds to get to the side. And that's the influence we can have in the world when we're really opening our heart and actually allowing that suffering, allowing that dukkha, that painfulness of being alive as a human being in this moment in time is the flip side of the joy and the beauty of it. I guess I encourage us all to really be connected with others, whether it's in your local community. It is difficult work to truly connect, to feel the difficulty in the world, to take on board our own difficulties. And yeah, bask in the sun, allow that warmth to warm your heart, and that will allow us to radiate it outwards and share it with others as well. So let's take care of ourselves and of each other and of the world. When I think of BAM, and I've taken part myself in my Sangha in Dublin for a number of years, when I'm trying to articulate to people who don't know what it is, I often try and draw out this, well, it's almost like a celebration, and some part of that is to do with Sangha. So I'm probably echoing what you were saying, Amy, as well, about collective action. Some of these issues are just so big that if you were to try and sit down at home and approach them, it would be just too much. But when you feel like you're part of something bigger, a community that are engaging with this, it just feels more doable. It also feels like the actual process of engagement itself is embodying something worthwhile. So I've always liked that about BAM. This year, it's a bit curious because a lot of centres this year, well, I don't quite know what the level of engagement with Buddhist Action Month will be, certainly within our community, within Triratna. 
I know a lot of them are just trying to figure out how to respond to their centres, physical centres being shut down. I don't quite know if they're going to be engaged in the same way that we have in the past, which, at least to my perspective, has been about hosting local events. Very practical local events like litter picking or I know in Dublin we did a, a cycle around a park together. All those kind of things, not necessarily possible in the current context, which is sad. But actually, then there's this other opportunity now, which is the online dimension, which I guess I'm really looking forward to. This, this exciting possibility of reaching out across the globe and being a global sangha in the face of all of this going on. So it, it is quite exciting having this conversation and knowing that Christine has been so actively organizing things you know all the way from Vancouver with people from right across the world and then also having Karen involved and having that bigger perspective global dimension you know broadening out to taking in our sangha in India I mean it's just really exciting so in a way there's kind of a loss of the way we did it before but then it may be a gain of something even even more splendid and connecting but also sangha I think it's a good point you make, Stacey, here about the unique opportunity of this year's Buddhist Action Month. And in a way, it's a real joy that we can help hold this at the Buddhist Centre Online in our space with all these other Buddhist communities who are going to be taking part. You'll be able to follow Buddhist Action Month, take part in Buddhist Action Month, get lots of resources by going to thebuddhistcentre.com forward slash action. And we'll be blogging through the month, letting you know what's happening and particularly what live events you can attend on Zoom maybe on YouTube, Facebook, etc. But there'll be lots of opportunities to come along and in a way help tell the story, help share the different perspective that is going to help make the future. So please do get involved with BAM at BuddhaCentre.com forward slash action. And thanks very much to you, Stiasihi, for helping shape the conversation today. It's lovely to see your jeweled passion for it come out so easily. I was just remembering your sangha in Dublin meditating in front of the parliament one year for Buddhist Action Month and how raucously right on that was to see... Oh yes, good memories, good memories. Half photos, can look back over them again. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And thanks to you too, Amy, for showing up. Well, for Karna for showing up, but for you in particular, just for holding the communication aspect of this, helping us translate what Karna has to offer the world into this context and beyond. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's been really enjoyable. And yeah, it's just really exciting to sort of see what emerges over June, see what happens in BAM. Thanks. Yeah, well, Karna will be part of some of those live events, so do tune in if you want to meet some of the team there and the totally amazing work that they're doing. And thanks to you too, Christine, for all sorts of reasons so far, and we're not even in June yet. I'm sure by the end of June we'll all be just frustrating with gratitude, but thanks for all the work you've done to curate some conversations, some events, and yeah, just try and keep the flame of this alive in our community. Thanks so much for meeting my call, and yeah, let's fan the flames. We're just getting started. Excellent. So as usual, you can continue to meditate with our community every day. In fact, we're going to be extending in the month of June into Saturdays as well. You can meditate with us by going to buddhacentercom slash toolkit and clicking on online meditation. You'll see the times where you live. We've got a couple of sits a day, different time zones, wherever you are. As I said, you can find out lots of information about Buddhist Action Month. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, this would be a good time to do it because we'll be sending out modest amounts of email. We know that at the moment you're probably being bombarded with emails about coronavirus from people you bought some shoes from in 2010 or something, telling you about their perspective on coronavirus. So we won't be doing that. We'll be sending you a kind of useful email about once a week, just with the best of what's happening around the Dharma world. Not just to do with coronavirus, but great events like this. So do sign up at thebuddhacentre.com slash toolkit if you want to hear the latest about BAM. 
And take care of yourselves. Come and join us if you can through the month of June. Do the action part with us of Buddhist Action Month. Help us tell the story of what the Dharma, the perspective of impermanence and interconnectedness can do for the world. And we'll see you again soon online in one way or another. Take care for now. Thank you.